Ready? Three, two, one. Hello, welcome to episode one of Artist Impressions. I'm Laura. Each week I'm going to have conversations with artists, makers and creatives to get their impressions of life, their art and the world. Today I'm joined by theatre makers Camilla Anvar and Zelda Solomon, who are two halves of the theatre company Sexy Agent in Your Area Dying to Meet You. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. How are you both? We're great, Laura. All the better (laughs) see and hear you. Good! You're fresh from the release of your debut film, which premiered in September at the Rumour Fest online. Your film, which you describe on your website as an exploration of being young, lost and Asian-ish, is a collection of scenes which explore Asian identities, stereotypes and experiences through wit, dance, satire and forthright vulnerability. So you were supposed to be performing your show at the Edinburgh Fringe, but Due to COVID, it had to go online. I'd love to talk about the show and its evolution from stage to screen. But to start with, let's go back to how you met and how your creative collaboration began. I love the story of how you met, but I feel like you could probably tell it better than I can. So um, we'll start with that. How did you meet? take away. Um, yeah, this is the very shiny story version of how we met, which I love to tell everybody, which is like, obviously, like I knew Zelda sort of before but we weren't really friends yeah and then um I absolutely love to write into the stage newspaper and complain <laughs> about things that is um that is a hobby of mine and um one day Richard basically mansplained Japan in the right like the the um left section and he was saying like you know what actually um japan is a city is a country of and he was just like talking i was like what is this man saying and like he was trying to justify the use of um white actors in the mikado um playing japanese roles so i wrote in saying this is ridiculous richard (laughs) um and i think zelda you saw that i wrote that and then zelda wrote in as well um and then we both got published next to each other in the newspaper um and thus a friendship was born. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and how did you go from pals to a theatre company with a, with a plan? Um, I just wanted to be friends with Zelda. So I no. just messaged her going, Zelda, please hang out with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And Zelda said yes. Yeah, I mean, I just remember, I think... You always tell me that I'm wrong, but I always think that you're like the leading force of it. And I was just lucky enough to be chosen to be involved. And I was just like, yes, a hundred times. Yes, whatever you want, I will be there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we you, we just kind of, it, we didn't really have like a specific idea. Like there wasn't a one motive or like a focus I think we just kind of sat down and and you mentioned that you really wanted to make something that kind of centered being Asian-ish and then it kind of developed from there the more we spoke about it excellent and (laughs) and the name of your theatre company is brilliant sexy Asians in your area dying to meet you um when when in the process did that come about and um 
what yeah what were you trying to do with your with the, your name well I think we were talking a lot about what we wanted to do, what we were missing, what we wanted to see on stage. And it was a lot of just talking about our experiences in theatre, comparing our different experiences of being Asian and then what are the links? And then just thinking of what could unite them. I was just, I think we were thinking of just like pop-up ads and like sexy Asians in your area dying to meet you kind of came up and it seems so perfect because we were talking a lot about like what are the roles available to Asian women now and having that as like the most common way that people know like sexy Asian women is through those like crazy you know big titty anime girl pop-ups and we were like it's perfect <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> it also just like the name's so perfect because it also encapsulates like a lot of like the like the digital culture that we ended up exploring and also like it's such a like everybody knows it but like yeah. everyone knows it through a common like it, like shame <laughs> um and like it just really captures people because mm. also like we ended up like exploring a lot of like nuance versus like reduction and actually like we're both Asian and Asians a huge continent with millions of different kinds of people but like we found a common ground through that like you know through just Asian this big bracket um and so like a lot of people really like it because of that yeah. yeah, I think it's also something and a it's bit like so yeah. naughty. Yeah, naughty and a bit like sinister. I think in the especially that kind of changed over coronavirus. But the dying to meet you suddenly to me was very like, oh dear, <laughs> like a bit melancholy, which I think was good as well. Let's talk about your show. Can you talk about your vision for the show on stage, and then what the process was like transferring those ideas into a screen-based show? Well, um, in January, I did a, a week of research and development with Rash Dash Theatre. Amazing. Um, and what's really interesting about their process is that they make work that fit them, not them like adapting themselves to fit a certain piece of work. Yeah. And what they taught me is um, if you're making physical device theatre, whatever, like political autobiographical theatre, um, what do you want to do on stage? And actually that's something that we, that was at the center of like what we were developing for the stage and ended up doing for the film is saying, what do we want to do on stage? And what do we, what do we really want to say? And how do we want to say it? Yeah. And at the beginning I said, you know, I really want to sing, but like not sing, um, like maybe a karaoke. And I really want to learn how to tap dance. And I really want to do all of these things on stage that I never got to do because of, xyz yeah um and that's how the process started and then like and then snowballed into us writing the scenes um Zelda, have i missed anything yeah well i also i think the process was really interesting i agree it was a lot of kind of like back to front of what you'd think like traditional theater making would be because also like almost right up until the very end i just think we spent so much time talking about like how do we consume Asianness? Like, how do how are our personal Asianness constructed? What is the effects of the cultural tropes that we see? What are examples of those cultural tropes? Like, and so much like just generally in introspection, and thinking about everything so much, and then 
by the end, when we actually had to piece everything together, it was just kind of pulling on different threads of this like big pool of ideas and thoughts that we had like made kind of between us. Yeah. Which was really like it wasn't like we didn't really want it to be like a story, like it, it that it wasn't to have like you know like a plot. It was more just yeah. kind of like diving into that. Yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. I feel like there is like um a feeling that we wanted the audience to have like um and it depends as it depends on the type of audience so like you know for a white man watching it versus you know an asian person our age watching it um there's a, a certain feeling that we wanted to get and i think it, that what ended up happening is that for the stage we were going to write a completely different show to what ended up happening for the film yeah and like we hadn't I, i'm not going to lie to you laura we didn't write the show for the stage because you know (laughs) yeah like so everyone's like oh so what did you do we were like we were just thinking then like we hadn't written anything yet um but we had this idea and we knew what we wanted to happen yeah um but I think the play would have been a million miles away from the film right um maybe not in thoughts and ideas but definitely in structure and form Um, because it it works so differently yeah um and Within that, I I remember you mentioning to me um, the influence of TikTok on your film and the sort of the style of sort of short form TikTok videos um, and your sort of your numerous scenes. And I was wondering, was that a conscious um, a conscious reference to um, a sort of really um, culturally relevant medium, or do you think it was just a, a natural response to the way people were communicating during lockdown? I think it was very purposeful. Like, we sat down and were like, we wanted to be like TikTok. Because it was just... Again, because also there's, like... Well, there was, like, the kind of undercurrent of, like, TikTok being, like, some, like, Chinese spy hardware. But we didn't really talk about that. But in more, it was just, like, how are we consuming media, like, these days? And, like, exactly like you were saying, like, you can't just make people watch some, like, crazy big long... Especially if we're making it for this... It's not going to be like a play that you film. Like, why not make it like really short and choppy and make people involved yeah. in it? But we did say like, it, mean, it means it's going to age really, really badly. So then we just went for it, like as hard as we could and like make as many references as possible so that like it's purposeful. But I remember saying like, this is not going to be good in a year. But that's yeah, that's okay. right. It's like a perfect time capsule of, of now yeah. and how we were yeah. communicating now. Um, Camilla, do you have... No, I mean like, it was funny because when we started off, we were like, oh my God, what if we like learn a TikTok dance for it? Yeah. Um, and it's just funny because like actually lockdown and the cultural shift of lockdown influences yeah. so much because like that's how people consume information through like short, very like purposeful bites. Mm. And we were like, that's something we really want to capture because actually 15 minutes is a really long time yeah. to be watching something that doesn't have the best set and you know and isn't the crown so like um (laughs) so I don't know why I use that example but (laughs) that's the best that's the best set I can think of in my mind is the crown I haven't haven't watched a single episode I've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) best production I've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen it yeah but I know I just know it's amazing I've heard the set is amazing. Um, I just think it's just fun. It's like fun. We wanted to have fun. And we were like, what's the funnest thing I can think of right now? And also, to be sorry to jut in, but also thinking now, like it was really important to anchor it in the present because that 
I mean, we'll probably get on to talking about it, but the whole, like, coronavirus and, like, that as a context Asian identity, like, we did... It made sense that we wanted to, like, make it about now because it added kind of this... That was the kind of silent kind of presence when we were doing it. Yeah, I mean, let's yeah. let's talk about that now because I know um, on your website you talk about how um, the virus not only changed the format of your piece but also changed the focus of it because so many Asian people were receiving racism in the context of the coronavirus having having begun in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you want to talk a bit about how that diverted your ideas and, and your focus? Yeah. It's funny because like before coronavirus, I'd only experienced racism in its subtle, pervasive, structural forms. And then I and then suddenly coronavirus happened and I was being shouted at in the street. And like we the viewers, the listeners at home might see on my Instagram when I got punched. It was um, <laughs> it was a it was a cultural moment for everyone, including myself. Um <laughs> My mum was like, (laughs) it's kind of the hate crime was a flex. Um, My mum was like, you need to stop answering back to racists on the street because then you get punched and then you go on Instagram like, I had a hate crime. (laughs) But yeah, so like, it's funny because Zelda, when we first were writing our fringe guide, we were like, pop on a mask and head down to watch our show. Oh, wow. (laughs) Like, as a, as a joke, because like, we didn't know that every, everyone would be wearing a mask in like you know three four months time yeah we were definitely like in the beginning we were playing it for laughs and I was really bad I remember like I used to beef people that were like coronavirus is serious because I was like no it's not this is just like inciting loads of hatred against Asians and I was so wrong and I'm sorry to those I'm sorry to that man but like it did change and I think it was good that we had to like acknowledge that and change courses and like we were also talking about like behind the scenes as well like Asian culpability and anti-blackness because that was obviously coming up over summer as well and like it was just constantly changing like as as things do but I think that's why we were a- it was really good that we were able to be flexible and respond to things and think about it yeah and exactly like change what or at least have it in the back of our minds. But in terms of, interestingly, on like the, yeah, well, other than the fact that people were really t- looking to anti-Asian racism as a legitimate thing, when I genuinely before, I think lots of people like didn't really think that happens. And then it was like suddenly very obvious. Um, but also from the debate that happens in, in parliament about anti-asian racism and coronavirus a crazy statistic that i've been thinking about loads since then is that 33 percent of the news coverage uses stock photos of asian people and obviously like that paired with this like rise in hate crimes makes me think a lot about like exactly like, the images that we see and the effect that the images that we see have on how we conceive race and i think that added a lot of charge behind mm. like what is the kind of otherizing role that Asian people play in the West or for the diaspora identity? But I'm going on now. But we did, we spoke a lot about like, we didn't want to make it about coronavirus. I think we didn't want to like nail down the point 
so much like even before we did like in in our press photos we were like wearing masks and coughing like it was a joke and like obviously that was misguided at the time but like we move past it we accept accountability we move on but we did think that Mm. we wanted it to be like what wasn't said and have it be like in the room but not the focus um which is kind of where we came up with the octopus scene and the kind of chatter which was supposed to be acknowledging it and how it ties in with the other things that we've been saying or showing but without making it this kind of like focus that's too a bit cliche or a bit too on the nose I guess. I'm glad you mentioned the octopus scene because I wanted to ask you a bit about the costumes. Partly, I know you made some of them, some of them are really fun, but also most of them are really integral to the way you examine Asian identity. So yeah, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the costumes, making them and what they what they meant. Go on, Zelda, tell us about your papier-mâché. Well, the octopus see i mean i was gonna also uh, maybe i'll mention this later about artists or whatever then i didn't post but um the octopus theme and like being the octopus costume was inspired by um this performance artist called lee bull and she's really great and she dresses in these like crazy handmade octopus costumes and was like on the streets of seoul and i think another city and it was just kind of all about like the asian woman and sexism and exotification and all this stuff and then also how the octopus is kind of like sexual and the fisherman's wife and all these kind of hentai things yeah. so i thought the octopus was a really good symbol for kind of like the otherization of the asian woman mm-hmm. and but so then I really wanted it to be paper mache and like look a bit weird and crude and it was really really fun to make <laughs> and it was so quiet in there like there was an echo it was so it was like really shameful being in the octopus which kind of helped <laughs> but that was that was really fun that was a fun costume to be and make but the other ones yeah costume was really a fun part of the whole film and kind of dress up maybe Camilla if you want to yeah I feel like so when we sent it to Kai the um, person who runs Rumor Fest first thing she said was it's really raw um and it was on it was on WhatsApp so maybe that's not the tone that she had but um I I think we both really wanted to have this makeshift sort of like DIY element to it because at the end of the day, like we've only got a certain amount of budget and we've only got a certain amount of resources at our disposal. But also like there is this idea that like identity is just playing dress up and like we don't really know what we're doing. We're just throwing things on and hoping for the best. Um, and like with the Japanese schoolgirl outfits, we like just went to Edinburgh bargain stores and we bought some fabric and we glued bits together. Um, and it just like it was so it was fun. so fun. The funnest thing about yeah. just thinking about no, go on. And we go, I was like, like, I want to be a school. And then once we started thinking about, like, what are the tropes that m- me and Camilla would, like, never be caught 
dead dressing him because of morals but because of this like crazy safe construct subversive iron- ironic thing that we've made we'd be like i want to be a schoolgirl. i want to be a sexy um seductress i want to be, be a geisha yeah i want to be yeah. a lalita and he's going like oh my god I want-. <laughs> you go like, i want to be a sushi i want to be i want to be an octopus and like it was so fun to just be like opening up this like weird little part of our brains of all the like little things that we could do and then yeah just like getting random shit together and doing it it was so fun and it was just it was fun because like there's an element there's a part of you that knows it's wrong to be in a japanese schoolgirl outfit um and there's also another part of you that's like i look sick (laughs) (laughs) and it's because it's because it's like all of these things that we're told we're like allowed to do and not allowed to do and it's kind of like you know japanese schoolgirls are so sexualized in like you know in the east and the west um and like the symbol of like innocence and you know uh like sexual desire like unattainable sexual desire um and because there is that taboo then like obviously like it's kind of like oh like i shouldn't be wearing this and it's like you know like this is a bad thing to be wearing but like you look like the people who wear it it's really it's really bizarre there's so it's so it's so layered and it's so complex and it was just really fun to like be allowed to be given the space to explore that and that doesn't mean i'm going to start dressing as a japanese schoolgirl anytime soon but like it was yeah you know, it was a, it was a it was a real journey of self discovery because we did so much sorry we did so much thinking about uh racial performance and like theatrical performance and then so there were so many layers to like exactly to dressing up and playing a character and a lot of the what we were thinking at the beginning is like what do you want from me and wanting to be wanted and it's like what do you have to do to be wanted in the industry or in wider society and so like playing these characters was a really interesting route and you do take to it like it was so fun like I'm like I don't speak Japanese like when we were being like the schoolgirls doing the cake thing it was just like (laughs) tried to make it on purpose and like push it push it into the absurd but like it was butchering Japanese and like you're not Japanese and like it was ridiculous but at the same time it was like oh you take to it like it's so fun like it's thinking like I know what to do here and as well like being a sexy little Asian it's like I know what to do and that was so that was really interesting and it was like challenging and fun and exciting and I that was a fun part of it that's so interesting um I'm wondering how how did you expect the film to be received how did you want it to be received and how did you feel it was received by your peers by people you don't know yeah what was the reception when i first showed it to my friends i was literally like lights off don't laugh no one laugh otherwise you'll miss bits like i was so like i was so nervous that people will like laugh and then miss something because like so much of it meant something to me and like i was so um eager for them to catch every single little bit and like um I just completely forgot that it is funny. And when people laugh, I'm like, shh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was just like a re- like a, like a very visceral reaction to your question. Um, let me think about it more. Zelda, you talk. <laughs> yeah, but on, on that note, that's really interesting because I really, in, in the, when you're doing um, Hamilton, 
and it starts off being funny and then it really quickly gets not funny. I one of my favorite like feelings ever like seeing other people go through it and being part of it. I love it. It's like going from laughter into like confusion and then sadness and it was like laughter in the beginning and then like an odd little like ha when you thought like it was still supposed to be funny and then kind of like getting quiet and i love that i love that i was really happy to see that from other people and like engaging in the kind of dissonance that we were trying to show um but how do i think people i didn't think that they'd like it as much as they did i i mean like yeah like the the feedback that we got was really from everyone was really lovely and like people would like message us on Instagram being like, thank you so much for making this, like, you know, all of that stuff. And I think it was funny because people were excited for the project before we'd even put up more than three Instagram posts. And it's because people are so desperate for just anyone to talk about, like, especially young Asian people, um, like diaspora, like, you know, especially like UK diaspora, like, they're just so desperate that like people were just so happy to see it and so happy to have something to relate to. Um, and it was really interesting because I, I was speaking to this guy and like he's not Asian, like he's our age, but like um, he's not Asian, you know, um, he's just like a young black man. And he was like, oh, like the Hamilton bit really spoke to me. And I was like, how and why? Like, I, I didn't really understand. But but he was just like, oh, you know, like the idea of like, you know, not feeling wanted and like feeling like. Uh, I can't actually remember what he said, but like it was just really interesting that like it spoke to people. And like it really what struck me is that like at the end of the day we were being really broad and general with the things that we were um exploring because like you know being asian is this huge topic but what really i think worked that i didn't expect for it to work was that we were being really specific with our personal experiences they were almost autobiographical because we were just like this is the exact lived experience that i've had and actually through that it was more relatable than some of our like broader um oh we're just going to explore their scenes um because i don't know there's something about being really specific about your experience that really resonates with people and that's something like i have to think about more because it, i didn't expect that and that was really interesting um because like the hamilton scene in particular was so incredibly personal and so incredibly like fixed on my own personal experience that i didn't think anyone would really understand um so for then for people who like to, to for that to resonate with people was really interesting because I didn't really plan like I didn't plan for that to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you're so right in terms of um, the more specific and personal um, a, a, an exploration is, the more people can relate to it. And I, yeah, I think that's um, yeah true of your work and true of a lot of things. Um, but yeah, Zelda, did you have? No, no. So that was that was it, really. That was good, though. I, I agree. That, I, that was like my favourite scene is Camilla's Hamilton one. I think it's great. Yeah, definitely. I meant earlier to ask you about wit and humour. Yeah, you, you talked a bit about how you wove it in. A lot of it is very funny. And um, yeah, what was your approach to, to the, the wit and humour in, in the piece? Yeah, well, interestingly, I can't remember. Maybe this was really in the beginning, but we did really want it to be fun because, oh, like, and also <laughs> because, oh, but like respect and power to like the heavy shit we love it we need it yeah respect great thank you but we were like 
Ooh, it's quite rare to have, like to have any representation of like a funny Asian person, let alone like a funny, sexy Asian woman. Like we both are, yeah. baby. Yeah. But two, and it's like, how can you ignore humor? And it's like that for us. I think that would also be like playing this role of like I'm talking about racism and I'm sad about it because, like, it's true. But it, that's not the whole story. And, like, we also want it to have a balance of that and being, like, we've always said that we want it to be, like, a hug for other people and that they can get this kind of embrace through seeing us have fun with each other yeah. and just laugh and take the piss. And, like, it made it was, like, such a joyful, lovely experience to share with Camilla and, like, it made me so happy and feel so fulfilled and how like talking about something like racism can sometimes be jokes because like that's what it's like and like it is and it was really fun and yeah fun and joyful and full of love and support and I think we really wanted to show that on screen as well like to show that part of it Mm -hmm. also there's something really really interesting and nice about cap like about targeting someone's vulnerability through comedy and especially what you were talking about earlier is you make them laugh and their barriers come down and then you go ha um racism uh zing yeah (laughs) um and yeah and there's something really like you know interesting and like it makes it accessible for sure Mm -hmm. um and yeah we just had a really good time and yeah that really shows through i think you can you can tell that you're both really enjoying yourselves and sort of bringing your personalities into it which is really lovely to see where are you going next what what's the future of your theatre company do you have new projects in mind are we are we still thinking towards fringe 2021 or are we all too wary of that for now um yeah where's what's what's the future for you see the thing is is that rumor fest was really interesting in that like we got commissioned yeah. and so now I have a little taste of being paid <laughs> for my artistic <laughs> endeavors rubs um, fingers at camera rubs fingers <laughs> at cameras. The blood, like there's the 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 spot of blood is in the shark tank so I have a taste for it now so like you know yesteryear slaving away and pouring in all my own money into a project and then you know and like all of this stuff I've realized you know there is there is a world of of, of uh, arts council England yes. Yes. with um, our name um, on it, baby. <laughs> yes, <laughs> with our name definitely. On it. Um, and yeah, and Zelda and I, and I have talked about like the future and stuff, and I just think like we're just gonna go with the flow, and because um, obviously we're in different parts of the UK now. That's true. Um, That's true. We'll probably keep up the Instagram, which we has become like kind of inadvertently like a really interesting and like supportive community for kind of Asian diaspora issues and things come like as we've done before like things come up in like popular culture and then we go to there to analyze it or share Asian specific resources and things like that and I think that's become really valuable for me and like there's people that I think are really into it as well so I, I think through that she lives on but um yeah also because like it became sort of like a community hub for all of these lost artsy asian people yeah (laughs) and like so many people reached out to us and like were like can we be friends and all of this like kind of 
really interesting kind of interactions that happen because of that. Yeah, because people want to talk um, about being Asian because no one talks about it. Like that's the mm-hmm. contract is that you don't you don't acknowledge yeah. it. You don't see you don't talk about it. And so like it's yeah. really freeing and nice to share mm-hmm. those experiences. Oh, yeah. Also what was really interesting to me is that like so on our Instagram that when we first made it we obviously like signed up to be like an, a business account and we put that it was a theatrical production. But then when I was making the Twitter um I put sexy Asian arts instead of sexy Asian theater because actually right. we haven't made a play yet. And the only thing that we have is this piece of digital art, for example. Uh, it's really hard to describe what it is because actually the, the final project is more like a an art, a video art piece rather than a play or a film. Um, and so I think a lot of theatre companies are doing that at the moment and it's really interesting in that there are, there are other things that we can explore apart from just theatre because actually the likelihood of a play happening anytime soon is slim but like I have loads of ideas and Zelda has loads of ideas of like other arts kinds of projects that we would like to do in the future and actually not limiting yourself to being a theatre company is really valuable at the moment and saying you know we could do film or art or photography or you know we can explore this in many many different ways and at the moment it lives on that Instagram page but but it doesn't just have to be a play anymore. And we don't just have to be theatre makers. We can just be makers. Um, and that's really exciting, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought the Instagram up because that was, that was this question here. Um, technically, the feature questions are... Um, one of them is, what impression do you <laughs> want your work, your work to make on the world? But I feel like we have covered that. Yeah. Zelda and I spend so long talking that we probably, like... <laughs> Like these are conversations that are easy to have because we know what we're saying. We so. said like a hundred times. Well, I mean, like we spent like hours and hours and hours and hours just talking about like the ethics of vocabulary. And, so like, yeah, we ooh. might we might cover lots of questions in one go because you know we're prof- we're professionals. We're not you're on this. Um, so now we'll move on to asking you some other questions. Tell me about an artist that's made an impression on you and your work. Yeah, again, I'll plug Lee Bull again because she's so cool. But also a super fun continuation of that is she starts off doing those octopus pieces and then later on in her career, she's doing these like cyborg Mm -hmm. busts that are like dismembered, hanging, kind of futuristic, kind of semi-robotic half-women busts. But then like that's an interesting continuation of like into technology and exotification and otherization through tech. So I really like her and I think her kind of career bodes well to the sexy Asian vision. But from a like personal perspective, like reading books and like minor feelings by Kathy Park Hong, I thought was a, like a game changer in terms of like, yeah, finding the vocabulary to voice Asian identity and where it stands was was great but again there's not really an artist <laughs> no i think everyone's an artist. we put a lot of like our inspiration into uh the instagram mm-hmm. and like a lot of the images that inspired us in the process and i feel like i can't remember do you remember what this artist is called i know her name's mimi kim but i can't find her instagram do you remember this oh my one? god yeah they're incredible i think their instagram's changed now oh has it that's but why I can't find them. Definitely, but she definitely has like um, 
Uh, yeah, her name is Mimi Kim, and she basically has these images of, of geishas putting on makeup to make themselves look like anime and like uh, geishas with, in, in different kind of very violent imagery. Hmm. And that was really influential to me, for me, and I feel like a visually Mimi Kim, and um, I really enjoyed like 1970s Japanese horror like Haosu, and like anything that subverted this idea of tradition and submissiveness with a new a new stereotype that is like sexual, you know, and crafted by Asians. Mm-hmm. Like that's the main thing. I think that these are all like the that artist as well. Like they're Asian, and that adds a whole dimension to it. And it's not just like a soft porn Tumblr or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, uh, other artists I don't know like it's so funny because like we went th- we we visually and like content wise we we looked at so many practitioners and we were inspired by so many different mediums from film and music and visual arts and theatre um, that it's kind of hard to pinpoint one that like really like stood out Another future question that I sent you was, is there a piece of art that you wish that everyone had encountered? And by everyone, it doesn't have to be like the entire population of the globe. But yeah, if if you think the world would be a better place if everyone had encountered a specific piece of I art. I have one. Um, my, my, my work is Fons Americanus by Cara Walker, which is currently on at the Tate. That would have been mine as well. Oh <laughs> We're God. both stands. Well, we can both talk about it then. Um, nothing to okay. do with being Asian. It's um, it's a, a thirteen meter tall sculpture of um, uh, a fountain that is an allegory to the um, Atlantic slave trade. Um, and it really what amazes me about this piece is uh, how it uses like tropes and narratives that we're used to. And, and completely like rips it apart and, and aims to create a new narrative. And it really plays with the idea of spectacle and performativity. Um, and it's just so complex and so, so accessible. And I think as far as like decolonizing the curriculum or like decolonizing history, opening up new narratives onto history and like who, who wins, who dies, who tells the story kind of, um, hashtag Hamilton uh, kind of um, ideas. It's just for me, it's the perfect piece of art, and I'm not saying racism wouldn't wouldn't exist if everyone had, had seen it. But I think if people saw it and under, understood it and engaged with it, it, it unpacks so much. Um, Zelda, anything else about? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting piece to get people thinking or get get us thinking about like Englishness and selective amnesia and selective history and what do we forget and how does that inform things and who is like our monuments for whose whose history are we speaking to or into and I was looking recently how that is kind of like that font Americanus is a really good sign to the kind of mutually exclusive ideas of like race and Englishness and why Englishness seems like it's white because of this construction of history and you feel like you can't be other, you can't be black and English or and European because of, and like it highlights that kind of like, as they say, like double consciousness from 
And I think that's super interesting. But I think in general, how it's about like the vocabulary of history and the vocabulary of belonging and what is missed out or who it speaks for. I think it's a really interesting piece as well. Uh, but obviously the Tate is, it's, she's got her flaws. I was so hopeful when that, that when they commissioned it, that they were really doing their best. But I think that was very surface level. But oh well. Mm-hmm. Rip. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we just ignore that it's. <laughs> <laughs> we don't see her. It exists. Sorry, uh, you know, it's really interesting. No one knows where that word is. Yes. Um, Have not had one person history. mention it. Yeah. I know. So yeah. it's liminal. Think, you know, especially, yeah. <laughs> as as storytellers, right? As theatre makers, as storytellers, we we really owe we really owe it to ourselves and our audience to like do the work in order to make sure that what we're saying is helpful and like that serves not only us but like serves the community and the the people who watch it and who are we getting to watch it, which is what I really enjoyed about actually having the work sexy Asians on a digital platform because it it made me feel like a lot of different types of people could watch it and could see it and in terms of like Fonz Americanus as as like a piece although it has nothing to do with what we made I feel like after seeing that I thought about thought about like the kind of narratives that I'm saying in a totally different way and we we had an interview with Misogyny magazine and I touched upon it then, so apologies if people read and, and hear this. I'm just repeating myself. <laughs> the loyal fans. <laughs> the day ones, yeah? Um, <laughs> but, like... <laughs> we see you. Thank you. A lot of... <laughs> you were there on 07. <laughs> um, a lot sorry. Of, sorry. A lot sorry, of how on. I've understood my identity and my race and a lot of the kind of, you know, decolon- um, decolonization that I've done... And the joy that I get from, you know, um, finding community has been off the labour of, you know, black um, activists and black academics and black writers who have given me the language and the tools to, you know, combat my own internalised white supremacy and, like, to be able to understand the structures around me and, like, you know, like, white supremacist patriarchy and all of that stuff. And I don't know if I would have been able to do that by myself and it's definitely off their backs and I'm just I'm very grateful and I I you know we've spoken about the model minority um you know uh, that you know Asian people around the world seem to you know fall into and how Asians perpetuate white supremacy and so like it's in terms of race we're in a really kind of difficult unique and complex position and actually you know we I, I'm starting to like every time I we talk about sexy Asians in length, I really like it is something that absolutely has to be mentioned is that for me personally, and I'm sure Zelda will agree with me that, you know, the way that we've found techniques and methods in order to explore things has been through that. And like we owe them everything. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if I have mm-hmm. any more to say <laughs> about that, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that is really important. And I th- I think exactly like it's nothing's in a vacuum and being kind of enlightened to the confining factors of the where you can operate as an Asian woman is like obviously inherently linked to white supremacy and other minorities. And that's why I agree, like it's so important to look beyond just us, like or else nothing works. Like, again, like we didn't really... Act- talk about it in a lot of detail in the film because there's only so much 
you can do. But again, I remember saying this with misogyny, but like, I hope, because for me, it definitely has been like, that's been the trace of my life. And I hope for others as well, that if you're still living kind of disillusioned as an Asian person, kind of being enlightened about yourself and seeing how white supremacy, how a white supremacist society affects an Asian person that you can then understand yourself in that system and then go beyond it because that's understanding it more holistically and more fully and that if you know it can hopefully be like a route that you can look at other things but you're right like it's really important to acknowledge that the Asian experience is like one speck in a much bigger system and exactly like we are we have to stand by other marginalized people and bodies Mm -hmm. for it to work yeah bit of a debbie downer but also important (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 my final question is what should we name this episode is it like there's gonna is there gonna be like a format like is it like laura meets colon (laughs) i I was thinking sort of episode one title laura meets camilla and zelda or something like that oh cute yeah Mm. so if you if you have a title i think the word sexy and the word asian has to be in there somewhere because that's a Mm -hmm. very attention grabbing can i think of a pun now i can't think of what rhymes with asian (laughs) podcast (laughs) (laughs) sexy asians is fine (laughs) sexy asians sexy asians typecast the podcast oh that was terrible. I'm no, sorry. I get. I like that though. I like that it has legs. If you get me, like, it has legs. It does. It definitely does. Okay. Do you want to? We'll have a think. Yeah, have a think. Get back to me, and it will. You can name your episode. Can I? Um. Can I? Can I plug some? Can I plug some? Um. Shout out. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Um. Is there anything you? Anything you want to add? Anything else you want to say? Um. Well, I, uh, me and Zelda both would like to thank our team who worked with us on Sexy Asians, notably Kate Granholm, Meg Rigglesworth. George Cayley, flat F2. 2F2. What are your flats again? 2F2 and 3F1. Yeah. Um, Laura and Nathaniel, because uh, we couldn't have done it without you guys. So, And the ancestors. And the ancestors and the past sexy Asians and the future sexy Asians. And obviously Rumorfest and Kai for amazing, amazing support and work. We love Kai. Yeah, thank you, Kai always thank um, you Kai yeah those are my plugs and yeah um, follow us on Instagram we're at sexy Asians in your area um, and your film and... is still available on your website which is sexyasians.co.uk don't do dot com um, and yeah your, the, your film is, is still available so everyone go and go and watch it it's great I like sexy Asians in your area typecasts and podcasts <laughs> typecasts no, type and podcasts how about sexy Asians in your area dying to podcast what about you? sexy Asians in your area dying to be on your podcast I like that um, thank you so much for being on my podcast I've loved hearing your wisdom and your thoughts well, thanks so much Laura oh, it's been no, so nice you. to talk to you yeah I love your film it's great I'm excited for more Whatever your whatever your next venture is whatever we've got up our bloody plate. Yeah. Thank you so thanks much. Thanks so much for having us, Laura. Thank you, 
to episode one, everyone. I had a great time. Everything that Camilla and Zelda recommended will be in the show notes on our website. And I look 